You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. I'm excited about what God's going to do today. I I really hope you came with an expectant attitude saying, God, I I need to get something from you today because I believe that that we get out of something what we put into it. And and I'm just so excited. I feel God's presence is in this place. God's presence has always been in this place. But when we we sing like this and we come together like this, we just open our eyes to the fact and, and, and the truth that God is here. And so I, I just pray that, that his presence is a reality for you during this entire message, because I believe that he wants to speak something to you today uh, through me. And uh, one, of the, one of the common themes um, that comes up over and over in my preaching, uh, and just really my understanding of life, is the theme of perspective. And so if you've come to our church any amount of time, you probably heard me talk about perspective quite a bit. Uh, just, just a couple months ago, we did an entire series on perspective called The River, The Mountain, and You. And it was all about the lens through which we view the world. And we said that if you change your lens, then you can change your life. If you could just see things differently, then, then it would change the way that you live. If you could see your obstacles as opportunities, then it would change your outlook on life. If, if you could see uh, your disappointment uh, as a needed sign for development, then it would change your direction in life. Y'all like what I'm doing? If, if you could see your frustration through the lens of the faithfulness of God, then it would transform your future progress. Come on, somebody. And so if we could just change our perspective, it'll change everything. Because watch this. Two people can experience the exact same thing. One person could leave... Um, disappointed and depressed, while the other person can leave determined. The the only difference is their perspective. It's how they view it, the lens through which they see things. And so I talk so much about perspective because I believe that if we could just uh, see things from a divine perspective, with a divine outlook, then it would change everything for us. If we could see the way that God sees, then we could live the way God has called us to live. We could live the life of heaven here and now. And so it's all about our perspective. And, and so what I want to do today is, is I want to help shift your perspective when it comes to money and resources. We're, we're concluding this series today called Even Greater. And if you're here for the first time, I'm so honored that you're here. Uh, t- today is a special day for us as a church because we've been building up to this moment. Th- this is a day where we receive our end-of-year offering. We-, we get to show God gratitude and exercise generosity in a way that's extravagant to Him. And so we don't do this every week. This is a once-a-year thing. And-, and I hope that you'd be inspired by the generosity and the gratitude that you see today, but, um, but, but, but I want you to keep coming back too. But, but we've been building up to this moment um, as we receive our even greater offering uh, in a moment. And, and, and what I want to do is help shift your perspective on how you see your money and, and resources. Because if we could just see it differently, then I believe that we'll exercise generosity in, in a way That's really extravagant. Also, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to you as a church because you've been getting this. As we've been building up to this and we've been talking about generosity, uh, it it reflected itself last week. Last week, we received our second highest offering that we've ever seen in the history of our church. 
which is, which is great. And it shows me that this is sinking in with some of you. So some of you are getting it. And you're saying, okay, yeah, I need to return the tithe. I need to be generous back to God. And, and so I just want to thank you for living with open hands. And it's because of your generosity that we're able to do what we continue to do as a church. And that's to make a difference in the lives of people who don't know God. To see people who are far from God raised to true life. It's also to make a difference in, in people just like you, your life. And so, so thank you for your generosity. You know, when, when we think about resources and money, I think there's really a couple perspectives that we can have. Uh, one of the perspectives that we can have is that we can see money, we can see resources as like there's only so much to go around, right? Like there's this fixed pie. And so because of that, I have to grab on to what I can. I have to grab hold of it. And so I, I live like this. I live with clenched fists. There's only so much to go around. And so I got to do what I got to do to get what I can get. And when I get it, I need to hold on to it because I only got so much coming to me. And, and when we live this way with clenched fists, it breeds greed, this is the starting point for stinginess. Now, now listen, none of us are living this way, right? I mean, none of us are greedy. None of us are stingy. But we know people who are. Uh, it's those people. But, but, but just in case we did live this way, then we would say that there's only so much to go around. And a way that it would reflect in our generosity to God is, is we would come to church and they would pass the buckets and we'd say, you know what, it, it has been a while since I've given. And so let, let me just see if I can squeeze out a, a dollar, and here you go, God. There you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out because, you know, i got to help the church out. The, the church needs my help. I mean, you're not that great of a preacher, bro, anyway, but, I mean, I'm going to help the, the church out. And so, so here, here, here you go. And so we, we, when we live this way, it breeds greed. It's a starting point for stinginess. And so this is one perspective that we can have, that there's just so much to go around. i got to grab a hold of it. And, and, and so I never give. But when I do that, when I live with clenched fists, I can never receive the blessing of God in my life either. There's no room for it. But another way to view money and resources is that the world is governed by a good God who's constantly pouring out blessing to us. And so because of that, we live with open hands so that we can receive the blessing of God. We make room for it. And the way that we live with open hands is by practicing generosity, giving back to God, and also giving to others. This is how we live with open hands. And so this is a perspective that says that uh, money and resources is not some fixed pie, but instead uh, the earth and everything in it belongs to our God. And so if you're a child of God, then you have no lack in your life. You have no scarcity. You have no want in your life because your heavenly father has access to everything you need. And as a good father, he loves to lavish his blessings on his kids. And God is constantly pouring out blessings. And so if we live with this perspective, that the world is governed by a good God who's constantly pouring out blessing, well, I need to make room to receive what he wants to give me. The way that I make room for it is to be generous back to God, is to be generous back to other people. And when we live with open hands, it's the best life we could ever live. People who live this way never have regret. When somebody begins to trust God with the first 10% of their income, they're exercising their faith in God, and they never have regret. I could line this stage with people who could tell you stories about how they were scared to exercise generosity with God, but then they started doing it, and they began to see the blessing of God take place in their life. And it's not always a financial blessing. This isn't a give-to-get thing. This isn't, God, I'll give you a dollar, you give me $10. It's not like that. But God pours out blessings, sometimes financially, 
I've heard stories of people who, who got a raise, who got a promotion, who, who something happened financially in their life when they started trusting God with their finances, but it's not always financial. Sometimes it's just blessings of, of peace. It's a blessing of seeing their money in the proper perspective. And so, so there's always a blessing, but people who live this way never have regret. And so what I want to do today is help us shift our perspective so that we live like this with open hands as, applo- as opposed to clench fist, because I think each and every one of us want to be known as people who live with open hands. We we, want to be known as generous, not greedy. We want to be known as people who exercise and show gratitude and not live in a state of stinginess. And so I want to help us shift our perspective. Uh, So I'm going to talk to you today from the title, uh, Let's Bring It Full Circle. If you would take a moment to write that down in your program, uh, let's bring it full circle. Let's bring it full circle. Somebody say, bring it full circle. That's good. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to bring it full circle. There you go. Now, uh, I need to confess something before I continue on. Um, About 95% of the sermons that I preach to you from this stage are all original. They come directly from me. They might be sparked from an idea of somebody else, but this one isn't. Uh, This one uh, was actually inspired by a sermon that I heard uh, from Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so um, I took some of the content there. I adapted uh, some of it. I I put some original stuff in there. And so if you hear anything that's good, uh, chances are it came from him. And so that's awesome. And if you hear anything that's not good, then you're not listening well enough, okay? So, so, so that's where it came from, and I'm so grateful for Elevation Church because they've been so generous to our church and, and, and giving us knowledge and things that they've learned from. One of the members of my management team who oversees this church is on staff at Elevation, and so, so they've just been so generous to us. But, but I wanted to, to be up front with you that, that some of the content that I got, it, it's just so great, and I heard it, and I said, I got to let our church contemplate these, these truths and these principles, and so... So some of the concepts come from that. Now, in order to, to help me preach this, we do need to take a look at an event that took place in 57 AD in the ancient Roman city of Corinth. And so if you have a Bible, would you open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 1. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1. We'll have the words for you on the screen as well, but it's 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Now, real quick, before we read this, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and uh, Paul wrote 14 out of the 27 books that are in the New Testament, and most of the books that are in the New Testament are in the form of letters. And so Paul went around, he started churches, and he led various churches, and he kept correspondence with them through letters. And so that's why we have books like First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. These are all letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these churches in those regions. And so Paul is writing uh, to the Corinthians uh, at around 55 A.D., And uh, he's telling them in 1 Corinthians about this offering that he's going to be receiving on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. See, Christianity first had its start and spark in the church in Jerusalem. This is where it all began. And as some time went by, uh, the church in Jerusalem was experiencing some hardships. They, they were experiencing a famine, and there was great poverty in that area. And so Paul said, I'm going to go around to surrounding churches, receive an offering from them to help out the believers in, in Jerusalem. So he writes to the Corinthians uh, just to let them know about this offering that he's going to receive. And this is where we begin in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. He says, now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with you uh, with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And so Paul is just writing to the Corinthian church giving them uh, letters of instruction, some logistics. He, he, he's preparing them for this offering. He says, what I want you to do is set aside some money so that when I come, we don't have to go through this hardship of trying to collect it, but it's already ready, and so we can, we can receive it and move on. Um, and when he first said this to the Corinthians, they were excited about it. They heard about a need in Jerusalem, and they said, uh, we're very eager to give to that. They had this great desire to, to give, and so they were living with open hands. But about a year passed and uh, between when Paul first told him about the offering to when he was going to come and, and receive it. And uh, what happened with the Corinthians was they didn't set aside what they were supposed to. I mean, they said, we really want to give. Here's how much we're going to give. Um, but then they didn't keep up with it. And, and as the year went on, their desire dwindled. Uh, their, their, their eagerness faded. And they started to clench their fists and they began to live this way. And so Paul hears about this, and he says, this is unacceptable because we need to be the kind of people who live with open hands. And so he writes him a second letter, and, and, and he addresses all sorts of other things in the second letter. But one of the things that he brings up is this transformation where they begin to live with closed fists. So uh, go ahead and turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We're going to spend the rest of our time here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And so Paul starts off this section reminding them about the offering that they said that they were going to bring. And he starts off by giving them some encouragement through an example of the Macedonian churches. Now, now, now these were churches that were made up of several churches in the region, uh, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Philippi, and the church of Berea. And he says that these churches uh, were experiencing severe trial. Uh, most likely, they were being killed for their faith. They were being persecuted. And so in these churches, you could go to church on Sunday and then you come back the next week and you wouldn't see some people. And they're not, not at church because it was a nice day out and they said, let's just go to Mount Trashmore instead. They're not not at church because it was raining and they said, ah, oh, we'll just go next week. They're not not at church because they were scheduled to work. They're not not at church because something better came up or it wasn't that convenient. They're not at church because they got killed. Like if you were part of these churches you could show up one Sunday and show up the next, and there's empty seats, and it's like, oh yeah, it's because some of those people were killed for believing in Jesus. You talk about dedication. You talk about commitment. And then he says on top of that that they were facing extreme poverty. And so these churches, there were people who were being killed for their faith. There were people who were experiencing extreme poverty, but then he says, but their joy was overflowing. In the midst of their struggles, they still had joy. 
And this is a principle that you and I, we need to grasp, that your ability to have joy is not based on what you face, but it's built on your faith. Let me say that again so you have time to write it down. I didn't see some of you writing. Your ability to have joy is not based on what you face, but is built on your faith. And after you finish writing that down, somebody needs to clap for that. So, or not. So, here, here, here's why. See, see, maybe we don't, because for them, people were killing them because of their faith. You don't have anybody killing you, but your coworker is getting on your last nerve right? But that doesn't determine your level of joy because your joy is your job. It's not about your circumstances. It's not about what you're facing. There are all these things that are vying for your attention. They're pulling you this way and that way. You feel stressed and overwhelmed. What you need to do is get organized. You need to say no to some things so you can say yes to what's best. But you're stressed out and overwhelmed, but that doesn't determine your level of joy because your joy is your job. Your career isn't where you thought it would be. Things haven't turned out the way that you had hoped, but that doesn't determine your level of joy because your joy is your job. Maybe you're in your mid-20s, late-20s, 30s, 40s, and you look down at your left ring finger and you see that it's naked. And you think, I surely thought by this time I would have been married. I thought I would have been with somebody by now. What's wrong? But that doesn't determine your level of joy. Whatever it is you're facing doesn't determine your level of joy because your joy is your job. Maybe you bought that house with that extra room because you knew that by now there'd be a kid in there. But it's been five years and you've been trying. In the midst of their severe trial, their joy was overflowing. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever your circumstance is, don't allow that to rob your joy because your joy is your job. You can have joy. You can have joy. So the Macedonians, they were being killed for their faith. They were losing friends left and right. And on top of that, they had extreme poverty. The, the, this phrase, extreme poverty, is more literally translated as down to the depths poverty. They were experiencing bottom-of-the-barrel poverty, rock-bottom poverty. They were so low, they had to look up to see rock-bottom. This is how bad they had it. But Paul said that in the midst of all that, their joy was overflowing, and because they had great joy, it expressed itself in rich generosity. You know the most generous people, the most joyful people? You don't know anybody who's stingy who has joy. They're the meanest, grumpiest people. You don't even want to be around them. But because their joy was overflowing, it welled up in rich generosity. A, a question that I had was this. I said, but, but if they're experiencing this, this extreme poverty, how did they give? Because Paul said that they gave according to their ability and even beyond. And the question that I asked was, well, if they were experiencing this extreme poverty, how did they even give? Because here's what we say. Well, I don't have so I can't give. But look, until you give, you'll never have. 
Because in Malachi chapter 3, God said that if you withhold the tithe from me, the first 10% that belongs to me already, then you're stealing from me. You're robbing from me. You want to be blessed by me, but you can't be blessed by me if you're stealing from me. And he said, when you withhold the tithe, when you don't return it back to me, you're under a curse. But then he says that the heavens are heavy with blessing. And if you trust me with the first 10% of your income, I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life, you won't even know what to do with it. This is the concept. Well, I don't have. What I have is right here, and so I can't give. But until you give to receive the blessing of God, you'll never have. We got to live with open hands. And, 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 And so I started wondering, how are they able to do this? Because here, here's what we need to understand too, that your scarcity is the starting point for God's sufficiency in your life. Your scarcity is the starting point for God's sufficiency. If all you ever see is your sufficiency, what you have, what you're able to do, then you'll miss God's sufficiency. You'll miss what he has and what he's able to do. And here's the problem. Your sufficiency is finite. There's only so much, but his sufficiency as he pours it down is infinite because he owns it all. He has access to everything you need. And until we live like this, we can't receive what God is pouring in our lives. This is how they were able to give. And and, and look back at verse 1. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The, The reason why they were able to give so richly is because their faith met God's favor and his blessing allowed them to give even more than they thought they could. Because don't you know, it takes faith to return the first 10% back to God. All right, God, here's the first 10%. I'm trusting you. I'm going to manage my money well, too. Don't be like, well, I'm tithing to God and and blah, blah, blah. But you don't make a budget. Like, you got to manage your money well. well I'm tithing to God, but I'm going now to eat every night, and I don't, I don't know where the money's going. It's not because you gave it to God. It's because you gave it to Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> so, so we got to manage it well, but it takes faith to bring the first 10% back to God. It doesn't take any faith to give him what's left over. God, here, here's my scraps. Hope you're happy with that. You know who he gives scraps to, right? Here, come here, boy. Sit. Good boy. God says, I won't be your dog. I won't take your leftovers. But I want your first and your best. When you trust me with that, I'll pour out so much blessing, you won't even know what to do with it. They were able to give so much because their faith met God's favor and his blessing supplied far beyond what they could imagine. Um, Dave mentioned it earlier. I talked about it last week. I think it's worth bringing up again. Um, when we were starting the church, Pastor Dallas Stamper, who leads Penn Ministry, came up to me and he said, hey, we believe so much in what you're doing as a church. We believe what you're doing in, in downtown Norfolk. We want to help you see people far from God raise the true life. And so we receive an offering every single week. And what we want to do is we want to give you 100% of our offering this entire year. Now, it's only about two or $3,000 because Penn Ministry is a ministry for homeless people, people who are, facing, who are facing a severe trial in their extreme poverty had joy that overflowed, and it showed itself in rich generosity. They came to us, and they said, we want to help your church reach as many people as possible. 
And so we're going to give what we have. And they gave not only what they were able to, but even beyond that. People who are facing worse circumstances than you and I. And they said, we want to help. We want to do this. And, and, and here's the thing that Paul says about the Macedonian churches. He said they came entirely on their own. When Pastor Dallas came to me, I didn't go to him and say, would y'all help us out? They came to us entirely on their own, and they said, we want to support what you're doing. And they gave richly. He said entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Because Paul looked at what was happening in the Macedonian churches. He said, man, they, they're struggling. They can't even, let's leave them out of the offering. We won't even ask them. But he said that they came to him, and they urgently pleaded with us. It's like they're saying, don't you dare leave us out of this offering. Don't you dare leave us out of this opportunity. It doesn't matter what we're facing. We want to give. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I, I, I wonder, what if, what if you and I came to God entirely on our own? What if... What if on November 22nd, when I first introduced the Even Greater Offering, all I had to do was say, hey, on, 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 on December 13th, we're receiving this offering. Bring the biggest gift you've ever brought to God. It's going to be awesome. And then moved on. What if I didn't have to do a three-week series to prime the pump to get us ready for today? And even after preaching for the past three weeks on generosity and gratitude, there are still some who you're crossing your arms and you're like, I'm not giving it that. What if, what if, what if, what if? Because of our gratitude for what God has done in our life, we came to him entirely on our own. What if, what if we said, God, I'm going to treat my relationship with you uh, with this attitude of entirely on my own? What if we came early or on time to worship God because we just said, I'm coming entirely on my own? What if when, when the band was singing and, and it's in the freaking Norva and it sounds awesome and we're, what if? We just raised our hands entirely on our own, and we said, God, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. What if we just clapped entirely on our own? Right? What, what if we just approached God entirely on our own and said, oh, thank you for what you've done. I don't need anybody to hold my hand or to spoon feed me. You know what? I, gosh, can I be real with y'all real quick? I'm, I'm going to offend somebody. <laughs> you know what? I can't stand when Christians say, that's not deep enough, or I'm not being fed there. Um, you know who needs to be fed? A baby. You've been a Christian for 18 years. Feed yourself. Here's deep. Here's deep. God, I hope nobody leaves because of this, but if they do, they need to. Um, here's deep. Paul said, I resolved to know nothing more than Christ crucified. That's all Paul preached, Jesus crucified. What's Paul talking about today? Jesus crucified. What's he talking about next? Jesus crucified. I think some of us will say, Paul, you're not very deep. Because you keep talking about Jesus crucified. You keep talking about the gospel. You keep talking about how God wants to see people who are far from him raised to true life. Jesus, I don't think you're very deep. You came to seek and save the lost. That's it. What about when I'm not lost anymore? Well, I want you to go and seek and save the lost. Oh. 
Listen, what if we came to God entirely on our own? We didn't need to be spoon-fed or have anybody hold our hand, but we just said, of course, I'm all in because of what you've done for me. God, you were all in for me. He said entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And, and, and here's what I love about the heart of the Macedonian churches. They had a desire to give. For them, giving and exercising generosity wasn't a have to, but a get to. It, it wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a, well, I feel so coerced or I, I need it. But they said, we want to do this. We long to do this. I can't wait to do this. Here's what I found, that greed will always find an excuse but generosity will always make a way. Greed will always find an excuse, but generosity will always make a way. Because, you know, when you really want something, you will plot and scheme to make it happen, right? Some of y'all right now, I mean, you're looking at something you want for Christmas, and you're adding up the numbers, and you're like, how can I do it? And you're like, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to go take out a credit card for this. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get it. Your, your car, you, you got to get new tires on your car. You're like, well, I guess I need a new car. And you're like, I, I'll, I'll take out a car payment. No, fix your tires. <laughs> Keep driving that thing. But, but and then, well, it, it's good. You know, I have a warranty for life. And then they'll, and we start talking ourselves into it. We'll plot and scheme and go out of our way to get what we want. I, I wonder, when this idea of bringing an even greater offering was introduced to you, did you tap into the generosity in your life and say, okay, how are we going to bring the most we can? Or did you look and say, man... Well, I'll stop tithing now, and I'll save it all up, and then I'll give. <laughs> Did you plot and scheme? Did you say, my house is way too cluttered. I need to get rid of some of this crap. I'm going to put it on Craigslist, sell it, and I'm going to bring the offering to God. Did you plot and scheme? God, how can I give you the biggest offering I've ever brought to you in my life? See, greed makes an excuse. But generosity will find a way. He said... Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this. Verse 5, they went beyond our expectations. Having given themselves, first of all, to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also. Verse 6, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And so Paul starts off by saying, okay, a year ago I introduced this offering to you. You had a great desire, and, and now I see you're living with clenched fists. And so what I want to do is inspire you with the example of these churches here who are struggling and they urgently pleaded with us to give in the midst of their severe trial, uh, in the midst of their extreme poverty, and they far exceeded what we thought they were going to do. And now I want to draw the attention back to you, Corinthians, so that we can bring it full circle. Because you had the desire to do it before, but now I want to bring it full circle and say, what are you going to do? Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, he's stroking their ego here, since y'all are so awesome. In faith, and speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. It's not a have to. It's a get to. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What Paul is doing here is um, what I like to do when some people talk about how much they can bench press. They're like, oh, man, I used to be able to, or I can, and then we'll go to the gym, and I'm like, all right, you said you can bench 225, that's 245s on each side, we're here, go ahead, make it happen, 
really, what I'm saying is, do you even lift, bro? <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Do you even lift, bro? Like, you expressed a great love for God and desire, but if you love him, prove it. If you love her, after a while, you're going to have to show her by putting a ring on it. If you, if you love God, don't just talk about it. I know you got a great desire. I know you want to, but do what you desire to do. Let's not talk about it. Let's bring it full circle. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. What he's saying is, God said he loved you. And God didn't just say, oh, I love him. But he showed us by giving his first and his best, by giving, his, by giving us his son. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter, what is best for you in this matter. It's always best for us to live with open hands. If we love God, we got to show it. Here's what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the, the, the desire to, to do so. Now finish the work. Bring it full circle. Come on. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And so he says, you say you love God so much. Well, come on, prove it. Bring it full circle. I know you had the desire to do it, but do what you said you would do. I know you had the intentions, but intentions don't get it done. So let's bring it full circle. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. And he says, this is what's best for you. Here's why. Because in Proverbs 24, 11, make sure I'm giving you the right one. Proverbs 11, 24, 24, 11 is one of them. Look it up. It says this, that the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. It expands. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I want you to bring it full circle so that you can see what's best for you so that your world can expand. On November 22nd, I stood up here on the stage and I said, we're going to be receiving this offering. In a moment, we're going to, at the end of this message, and I'll, I'll explain to you how we're going to do it. Uh, but I preached from the, this uh, context of First Chronicles 22.5 that says that the house of God should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. And I said, I believe that this house should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations, in the sight of the city of Norfolk, in the sight of the state, in the sight of your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, the person that you work with, the person you sit next to in school. This house should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in their sight so that they would come and meet Jesus here and be forever changed. And because of that, we're going to be receiving this offering today. And I hope throughout this whole time that I've been talking as we've been building up to today that nobody ever had it in their mind where they said that church is all about money. But I really hope that you would say that's a church that's all about people because it takes money to reach people and they're going to do whatever it takes to reach people because there's a quarter of a million people who live in this city, well over a million people in the seven cities. And 74% of this city is not a part of a church. That's 168,000 people, and that is unacceptable to me. 
I, I see one day that this is going to be a church where we pack this place out so much so that we say we got to have two worship experiences. Wouldn't it be great if we saw that starting in February? Yeah. But we got to bring it full circle. I see this as being a church with thousands of people years from now. And maybe you say, but I don't know. I mean, I really like a little church. It's so intimate. It's so nice. Don't you think a thousand people is a lot? No, I don't. <laughs> not, in a ch- not in a city where 168,000 people are not a part of a church. If we just had a thousand people, that'd be a drop in the bucket. We're not playing games here because there are people who are dying and going to hell forever. And we can't be okay with that. And so we will do whatever it takes, even exercise extreme generosity to reach people who are far from God so they can be raised to true life. I want to I show you real quick as we, as we close what we're about to do and, and, and what it means for us. Um, I want you to just imagine that this board here is all the resources that God has provided you with. This is everything that you have, your money, finances, everything. And this circle represents what you bring to God, your even greater offering, generosity in your life. Now, this person has a lot of resources, and this is what they bring. And then I want you to imagine that this pad here represents the resources that are available to someone else. In this circle here represents what they bring to God. If I were to ask you which circle is bigger, which would you say? It's this one. I mean, this circle is bigger than this circle. But when we ask God, which is bigger? God says it's this circle here. Because here's the thing. God doesn't look at the size of the circle. God looks at the size of the sacrifice. It's not about how much you can bring. It's about what sacrifice are you willing to make. There was a time where Jesus and his disciples were in the temple in Jerusalem. And what they did was they had all these buckets lined up around the edge of the, the temple. And people would come and bring their offering. They'd drop it in the bucket. And there was a particular day where a lot of people were coming and they were giving a lot of money. It was extravagant. It was awesome. And they were making a show of it. And, and people were really impressed by what they were giving. And, and, and I could see they're there. Jesus is with his disciples and his disciples see this one guy and he comes up and he has this bag. And he dumps it in. And people are like, whoa. His disciples are impressed, right? And then Jesus, he's there. And he catches out of the corner of his eye, because everybody's kind of going where it's prominent. He catches out of the corner of his eye. There's this woman, a widow, who, who's looking around. And she walks over to one of these buckets. And Jesus, 
I think he gets the attention of his disciples. He said, hey guys, listen, listen, watch this. Shut up. Watch this. He points their attention to this woman. He says, look at this. And she goes up to this bucket. She takes out two pennies and drops them in the bucket and then walks away. Nobody celebrates. Nobody even notices. And Jesus says about her, he says, she gave more than everybody else. The disciples said, Jesus, her circle's little. They gave more. Jesus said, no, 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 no. What you don't understand is that she gave everything she had. She sacrificed it all. And when we give so that it's a sacrifice, so that we feel it, that's an offering that God takes notice of. If you give so that it doesn't sacrifice, so it's not a sacrifice, God doesn't take notice. Because God doesn't look at the size of the circle, He looks at the sacrifice that's made. And here's the thing, we don't always get to determine the size of the pad. We don't always get to determine what we're given, but the marker is in your hands. You might not get to determine how much you have available. But you get to determine the size of the circle you draw because the marker is in your hands. And when God sees a sacrifice like that, he says, oh, you're going to give like that so it's a sacrifice, so it hurts? Well, if you're going to give like that, then I can increase the size of your pad because I know that I can trust you to give even more. And if I increase your pad like that and you give even more, then I know that I can increase it even more. And so I'll just keep enlarging your pad as long as I know that I can trust you with a sacrifice. The question that I have for you is God has given you a pad. Whatever your resources are, And is your sacrifice proportional to the size of what God has given you? What God is wondering from each and every one of us is if I increase your pad, will you increase your sacrifice or will you keep it the same? Today we get a chance to say, God, here's a sacrifice, an even greater sacrifice. We're trusting you and we're believing that you're going to do even greater things in this church and in our lives. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to bring your even greater offering and drop it off in these buckets right here. And I want to lead the way. This is the check that my wife and I wrote. We're going to set it right here. There are several ways that you can give for this, that you can bring a sacrifice. One is you can come down and drop it off in the buckets here. There are going to be some people who don't get out of their seat and who don't come down because they gave online. You can also give that offering online. And there are going to be some people who don't get up and don't get out of their seats because they're giving via text. And if you choose to give via text, you can simply text the amount that you want to give to the number on the screen behind me and make sure to include the keyword even greater. 
But in a moment, you have a chance to bring it full circle. I know you say you love God. I know you live for Him. But like Paul said to the Corinthians, let's bring it full circle. Let's show it. And so I wanted to lead the way by dropping that in. But I want to bring some other people up here who are going to lead the way as well. Would you guys come on up here? These are some of the kids in our kids' ministry who they've been receiving money, bringing it up to give for this offering as well. We just wanted our kids to lead the way. Here's my daughter. Hold on now. You got to put it in there. Put it in there, honey. Somebody make sure she doesn't fall down. Thank you. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Thank you guys. Thank you for leading the way. Thank you. These are your kids, y'all. And this is what you want to teach them. You want your kids to live this way. And so we're going to bring it full circle. You can stay standing because we're about to sing and bring this. I don't know if that was right. That seemed manipulating, bringing up the little kids and dropping off. No, no, no. I want you to see that they're leading the way. They're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. So let's bring it full circle. Hey, let me pray for us, and if you are bringing an offering, come on down. You don't have to walk across the stairs like that, but you could just come on down. You could drop it in. Again, there are going to be people who don't, and that's okay. That's totally fine. Some people are giving online. Some people are giving via text. So not everybody is going to come up, but this is our time to bring it full circle. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for what you're about to do as we exercise generosity in a way that might even scare some of us. But we just want to thank you for how you've shown generosity by giving us your one and only son, an extravagant gift so that we could be saved, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be made whole. God, I pray that you would bless what we bring today as we reach out to more and more people. Pray that you would use this to move in the lives of people who aren't even here as we reach out to bring them so they come to know your grace and your love and your mercy is for them as well. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bring a full circle, y'all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.